Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. This is episode 104 of the podcast for November 23rd, 2010. My guest today is Dr. Peter Patterson. You can find him on Twitter as at IDRPete, at IDrPete. We've worked together a number of times uh, about Lean and the TWI, or Training Within Industry Methodology for Healthcare. We co-presented at the 2010 Society for Health Systems Conference, and uh, we've chatted. Uh, he's a frequent commenter on the blog. If you go to leanblog.org slash 104, I'll post links to a blog post that Dr. Pete wrote back in 2009 and some of the things uh, we've posted about his work and things that we've collaborated on before. So I hope you find this interesting, and as always, I want to thank you for listening. You can find past episodes at leanpodcast.org, and join us daily for the conversation at leanblog.org. Dr. Pete, it's real good to talk to you today, and I'm very happy to have you as a guest on the podcast. Well, thanks, Mark. I'm very happy to be here. Good to talk to you and, and share a little bit, I think, of your background and what you've learned with the listeners. I think it's interesting it's always interesting to hear of uh, you know pe- how people got involved with lean and maybe if you could kind of first off introduce yourself and your professional background and, and what it is you do and then we can move on to that question of how you got introduced to lean. Well, sure. So uh, I'm a physician. Uh, I've been a physician for almost well actually over 40 years now. My father and grandfather were also physicians, so I tell people that it it's in the genes now. You know, it's coded in the genes. I, uh, I'm a pathologist by specialty, so I work behind the microscope. And um, I've uh, been in the U.S. Uh, approximately 20 years. I spent the first 20 years of my career in uh, Canada where, where I trained and then uh, joined a Fortune 500 healthcare manufacturer in uh, California uh, in 1988. And uh, that was the beginning of my introduction to what was called then at the company world-class quality and uh, now you would call it lean you know that's where I got my first introduction to uh, what was eventually called lean by that company so um, I'm currently uh, in a stage of life I like to call mature freedom which means uh, I am mature enough to have the freedom to work as much as I want and currently, I work about half time, and the other half of the time, uh, I practice being retired <laughs> because it, it does take practice. I, I can only imagine. And yeah, so I, I, you've got an interesting background of, of having uh, the physician background and having worked for a manufacturing company. Um, maybe that was a, a key part of how you've been able to translate and relate to some of this. But you know, when, t- tell us about. How you first, how, how you got in, reintroduced, if you will, to lean in a medical context? Maybe talk us through your path of um, getting back into uh, pathology and, and where some of this overlap started to occur with lean in uh, laboratories. Right. Well, I uh, I spent almost uh, seven years with uh, that healthcare manufacturing uh, company in uh, California, and then I. Uh, moved to Kansas City to the University of Kansas Medical Center 
where I took a job of being director of the clinical labs and uh, an associate professor in the faculty, et cetera. And, uh, it was the first academic job I'd ever had in my career, actually. And at the time, uh, the, the Department of Pathology and the medical center itself was undergoing a, uh, a transformation, you could say. They were sort of... Uh, uh, the Department of Pathology was uh, had an academic department that was in some trouble, uh, and I took on uh, with the chair of pathology, turning the academic department around. And in the context of doing that, uh, the uh, administration of the medical center uh, got interested in world-class quality, uh, as I've called it, and... Uh, they actually introduced the idea of lean through a, um, an offshoot of General Motors. I can't remember the company. Um, and it was the, it was the fellow that uh, developed Picos. Okay. You know, as a yeah. cost sharing. Yeah, you know, you know, I can't remember his name now. But uh, uh, the medical center took on adopting the principles uh, of uh, world-class quality uh, that were, uh, in you know, bound up in that, and that was kind of my reintroduction to uh, the whole idea of quality improvement, continuous improvement, etc. And so, in fact, we had a successful turnaround of an academic department and the medical center itself. It's now a very profitable uh, uh, enterprise. And I moved on uh, to, uh, I retired actually from the faculty and moved on uh, to Arizona, where I live in a retirement community there. And as part of my work uh, in my stage of life called Mature Freedom, I happened to get associated with the Yuma Regional Medical Center and began to go there on a part-time basis to work behind the microscope. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the timing was quite perfect because within a year, actually within six months of me starting that, the... Uh, the chair of the department there of uh, pathology persuaded the administration to take on a program of lean, which he had heard about at a conference. So he had, uh, he'd been at the medical center for 35 years. So he had a lot of uh, gravitas uh, with the senior administration and, uh, and he was also a physician and he was prepared to be the inspirational leader of this transformation. So there I was and, in the middle of this uh, uh, initial uh, lean pilot program, which got started in the clinical laboratory. And uh, that's where I uh, eventually uh, began working with the uh, supervisor of, of histopathology. And we did the work of, uh, you know, wh of what we, we would now call TWI in healthcare. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, you know, it, we didn't call it that initially, but right. that's kind of like right. the capsule summary. Sure. Now, uh, backing up a little bit, just to get time frames, what was the time frame that you were doing that world-class quality work in Kansas? In Kansas, that was uh, 1980 to about 1986, 87. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, 2000, rather, to 2006, sorry. Okay. So... So uh, I moved to Arizona about uh, in late 2005. So. Yeah. Gotcha. So then uh, when you were working at Yuma Regional Medical Center, you had an opportunity to go through, maybe kind of walk us through your opportunity that you had to, to go through 
have that initial lean work. Um, well, or maybe first off, um, before that to set context, um, I, I have the benefit of having been in some histopathology labs, but to listeners who aren't familiar with that or people, you know, especially from outside of healthcare, how, how, how would you summarize, give kind of a quick synopsis of, of what histopathology is all about? Well, histopathology uh, is involved with uh, taking pieces of tissue, usually from surgery, like biopsies or sometimes uh, whole organs that get excised and uh, cutting them into small pieces, making microscopic slides of them. And pathologists like myself read the microscopic slides and issue a diagnostic report based on that. So it's a very key service in most hospitals. Uh, even it's one of the first services that actually gets developed, you know, after you get a group of surgeons. You know, they they want a pathologist or a, or at least a, the capability of, of good pathology services. So that's what histopathology does. Yeah. And in layman's terms, I mean, the, the diagnosis or determination one way or another is often, you know, cancer versus not having cancer and it's a serious stuff. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, with a bit of lightness to it, my, one of my friends says that my job is cancer, no cancer, cancer, no cancer. <laughs> that's that's what he's, that's his simple explanation. But, you know, there's more involved in pathology than cancer, but some of the most important work we do now uh, in multidisciplinary areas particularly involves cancer uh, reports yeah. and treatment. Yeah. So then let's move back to the introduction of lean there in histopathology at Yuma. If you can tell us a little bit about how that came about, what some of the, the drivers were, how that kind of came to be. Well, the, the, uh, the initial pilot program actually started in the clinical laboratory which is the laboratory that's adjacent or uh, next door to the histopathology lab in most hospitals. And as a matter of fact, uh, the pilot program hired a, an outside uh, partner called uh, Valumetric Services from Johnson & Johnson. And we had a, a term, the term of art, Shensei. We had a Shensei from Johnson & Johnson, a gal who came in and, and taught us the basics of lean uh, as part of the clinical laboratory pilot program. So in histopathology, uh, my friend, the supervisor, and I were kind of like, it's a little bit like seeing your neighbor having a party over the <laughs> fence, and you're not yet invited. So we had to find a way to uh, invite ourselves uh, into the party, if you like, to become part of the lean transformation. And sort of the bad news about it was, we didn't have any specific funding to do that part for ourselves. The good news was we could be go off quietly in the corner and experiment, which is what we did. And we did it in a way that nobody was like asking us every day, are, are you meeting the goal? You know, how that goes. Yeah. You know, so, so we were able to do uh, uh, our initial work and produce uh, a success, an initial success, kind of out of sight. Uh, kind of the rest of the laboratory. And so, how did you measure that success, that initial success, or what was the impact? Was that in terms of waiting time well, to get results? Or? Well, yes, uh, that was that's primarily what it was. We uh, we had actually gotten a new version of our uh, pathology computer program, the one that we used to, to generate the reports. And uh, my colleague, uh, the supervisor in uh, histopathology, had 
implemented a lot of technical uh, aspects of that, including barcoding and voice recognition, which uh, smoothed the workflow, uh, kind of leveled it out, you know, in the kind of lean vocabulary. And we actually uh, uh, got really spectacular turnaround times. When I was using the system, I was measured uh, at more than uh, 80% of my reports were out in less than one day. You know, so that was really uh, a very, very quick service, and it was very smooth, and I wasn't working hard doing that. So yeah. that was initial success. Yeah, and, and, and that's the beauty of improving flows. That, you, know, you said you weren't having to work hard. Uh, I would certainly presume you weren't cutting corners in terms of the, the, the time, the value-adding time of actually looking at the specimen at the slide. Well, no, actually, that that part actually increased. You were able to you know, take more time in a more relaxed frame, if you like. You weren't hurrying, uh, you know, to get the reports dictated, for example, which would be the old way, knowing that there was a lead time between dictating the report and seeing the final transcription that you could sign off on. See, when you have voice recognition, that can happen in, like, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, we kept the we kept the uh, transcriptionists in the loop. Yeah. Uh, but your improvements were were a combination of that technology and process improvement. Is that fair to say? That's exactly. We actually we we came to think of it as uh, you get a technology improvement, which would be like new software or barcoding, and then you have a process improvement that kind of goes along with that, mm -hmm. kind of in a in a loop. You do one. You can start either with one or the other, but but uh, you know, as it happened for us, we got the technology improvements and then uh, did the process improvements in order to maximize the benefit. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's great when you, you, know, you hear stories of people using Lean to help make better use of uh, of new technology and, and and using Lean to to free up time uh, to allow. For better quality, whether that's you know in nursing, we talk about freeing up time so nurses get more time at the bedside. And it sounds like you had somewhat of a histopathology equivalent there. Yes, yes, exactly. And and uh, you know, um, I guess my my experience with things of you know improvement, thinking all the way back to when I worked for the Fortune 500 healthcare manufacturer, is that uh, every improvement or every whatever jump you take. Uh, drives new issues to the forefront, and that was the case with us as well. You know, we we were motoring along, fat and happy. You know, with the improved turnaround time and using voice recognition and having a great old time. Yeah. And then we we uh, we found a new issue had been driven to the forefront. And so, when you were you you talked about working with that supervisor, and, and, and there was other lean work going on in a clinical laboratory. But did did you get? kind of some of the classic, uh, if you will, pushback from your peers or other people in the lab who were, were hesitant to say, well, you know, this lean stuff is from manufacturing and, you know, this isn't a factory where we're helping, you know, give critically important diagnoses to people. Um, did, did you face some of that? And, you know, if you did, what were some of the conversations that you had, you know, especially since you had some background with a manufacturing company? Did, did that help you or what was that discussion like? Well, I it, it, it helps from the point of view of you can see you can see through things in a way that sometimes other people can't. You know what, especially if it's happening to them for the first time. Uh, 
but one of the we did get quite a bit of pushback in the clinical laboratory initially uh, when they started the lean pilot program, and it was for the reasons you would think. It was new for people. Uh, they they uh, didn't understand very well the the uh, single piece, the idea of single piece flow, mm-hmm. for example, as opposed to batching, and and uh, they weren't quite ready to to get up in front of the room and and uh, like a, an AA meeting and say, uh, my name is Joe Blow and I'm a batcher, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But but uh, that once once we uh, got some initial experience with the with the cell, the idea of the flow and single piece flow that started to, to evaporate. And, and I think the, the, one of the residuals, the part we didn't solve, I think, is having the employees on the line own the thing and drive the process themselves. It's, it's a lot harder than it looks, in my experience, you know, because, you know, at some level, it becomes management pressing things on the workers, and if you like, until they succumb. I say that with a smile, yeah. you know, and the, but that is typically how it feels to mm-hmm. a lot of people. Right. And it takes, it takes quite a bit of focus on that uh, to, to alleviate that. And that, that's one of the things we took on in histopathology, by the way, when we started our own efforts is we were committed to actually getting the staff engaged in this process and, you know, it wasn't going to, it wasn't working in our mind until that happened. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say not all labs, not all hospitals, not all factories for that matter are able to shift from, you know, lean as projects, lean as one-time improvement and, and moving into lean as something that everybody's engaged in, you know, continuous improvement way of, of life. I mean, that's, yeah. uh, it's easier said than done. Yeah. I, uh, I'm in. I'm intending, before I completely retire, to to have to have the shift in healthcare go from we do lean or we do continuous improvement to this is the way we've always done it. Yeah. You know something more along those lines. Yeah. You know where you'd have uh, obviously people coming up from ab initio training who who had nothing who did nothing else. Yeah, it's like computers are today. I mean, nobody says, you know, you got to learn to use a computer like that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. We've always talked via video chat through a computer. It's always been that way. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Now maybe the last thing we talk about because we're we're running down to a couple minutes left. You talk about quote unquote doing lean, and we've co-presented, you know, conference webinar settings uh, about quote-unquote, doing TWI, the training within industry method in laboratories. And, and uh, maybe we're, we're not giving it its full due in terms of time, but could, could you give the listeners just kind of a you know, quick overview of you know, the, the scenario that, that we always prevent, uh, present um, about TWI, how it was impactful with training? Maybe someday people will say, well, you know, this is just how we do training around here. Yes, well, our... The part of uh, TWI that we came across first was was related to training. You know, that was our our issue, that new issue that was driven to the forefront. And, you know, after we'd had our initial successes, we realized that that the front, the uh, order entry position in our facility, in our uh, 
lab had had many people in it over a very short period of time. And when we finally uh, had the great insight uh, that we did about it, uh, we we uh, realized that what was missing was good training, regular training done by people who are uh, on the job, if you know, like the people who are actually doing the work. Uh, so that was our uh, initial uh, uh, introduction to the the job instruction part of TWI, and but but I think the thing I appreciate most now about the whole idea of TWI is that it's a very capsulized version of the whole continuous improvement game, if you like. And there are three parts. You know, you got to train, have an engaged workforce. You got to train people. You got to have a, a a way to improve which is a method, you know, a methodology that's regular, reproducible. And you got to have some way to deal with the kind of uh, personal or interpersonal or uh, relational issues that come up between people in the workplace, you know, while you're not, not only doing continuous improvement, just working in general. And if those three things are very key to having a sustainable continuous improvement uh, way of life in the workplace that at the same time takes care of your people, you know, yeah. like as the Japanese say, respect for people. You know, it's a lot deeper than it looks. Yeah. Well, and I think you know part of that idea of taking care of people is not setting people up to fail. Um, so if you can give, I don't want to steal your thunder. Um, if you can give it even the comparison of kind of the before, the simple before and after TWI in terms of the impact that was having on people, the success they were having or not having compared to when you started using the job instruction TWI methodology. Right. Well, absolutely. Before we uh, had the insight that training was at the root of it and and established what people would call a JI program, uh, before that, it was typical for the... Uh, Transcriptionists, for instance, who got the end result of grossing the biopsies uh, to keep track of mistakes that would be made by the person doing the entry of the orders, etc. And then every month it would present this person or the supervisor, usually with a, a scorecard, always in the negative of the mistakes that had been made. And, uh, you know, not only was there no improvement from that, duh. <laughs> but, but but in fact, um, you, it actually led to a, a lot of interpersonal difficulties and in and kind of uh, you know you ever know know want to know why silos start to occur in the workplace? This is why it occurs because people don't communicate across their differences in a really effective way. So before that was rampant in our organization. And not only in with the histopathologist and the order entry person, but with the rest of the technologists in the histology lab and the supervisor, you know, it was it was just rampant. Yeah. And once once we got the insight of doing the training and simultaneously finding the way to engage the all the staff because they actually wrote the instructions. Yeah, they wrote their own. Yeah. With the supervisor, it was mm -hmm. very powerful. Yeah. You know, once we got that going, now uh, you know the error rate dropped spectacularly. That was the one result, 
And the relationship, I mean, I'll never forget the day when the, the head of transcription came down the hall and said, have you seen the numbers for the last three months? Yeah. You know, and, you know, they were, that was, everybody was realizing that this way of working, uh, where you connect with each other and you uh, have regularized training for your people so that they know standardize the job, standard work, standardized work, once you start doing that and you start getting those initial results, everybody can see it, and then it, it turns out to be uh, very powerful. Yeah, having a methodical, you know, having a structure, having a, you know, a standardized way of developing people, developing um, training material, standardized work, uh, seems to have had not only impact on uh, quality, impact on the patients, but on the people. And you know, I think the, the one number you had always shared is you know, how many people had the department gone through in that role before TWI? People were being blamed and let go. Yeah, well, they were either let go or they left. Yeah. You know, and of course, when they, they, a series of people leave over and over again, uh, you know, our initial reaction was, well, it's hard to get good people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but we had six people in that job in three years. And since we did this uh, regularized training and standardized work, the person we hired and trained that way that had the spectacular decreases in the error rate, that person is still there. <laughs> well, and it's just about been two years now. Yeah, and it's such a powerful lesson uh, of, you know, about how easy it is to blame the individual instead of looking at the system, looking at the management practices. And, and that's why I always love that story. It's such a powerful illustration of, of that idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, now, uh, the, well, I just heard the other day, uh, that, that, uh, all the technologists in the laboratory now, uh, there's one in particular who's become quite a leader in this effort and she's taking advanced training. She'll become, have an advanced certification in histopathology, you know, within another year. Mm-hmm. And that supervisor is, he's, he's in a master's program. You know, for informatics, so it it just uh, it rubs off on everybody. You know, pretty soon everybody's got it. Well, uh, Dr. Pete, uh, the time has gone very quickly. Uh, Dr. Peter Patterson, our guest today, it's always good talking to you, and I'm glad that we could finally have a conversation to share with the podcast listeners. Yes, thanks, Mark. I've enjoyed it a lot, and uh, hope we can do more sometime. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.